Our teaching text this morning is Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. So let me read that for us as we get started with our teaching time this morning. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, son, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the forces of Hades, the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. And he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Let me pray. God, you are our good God, I am so thankful that we can gather together in person and online. God, that no matter where we are, both physically and in life, that you love us and you want us to hear from you. God, I'm thankful for your favor on Generations Church, God. How you are working and you are active, God, even in ways that We just can't even see. God, give us guidance and wisdom. Open our, just our mind and our hearts to what you want to teach us this morning through your word. Thank you for your love and for your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. For about two weeks, my kids loved the show, The Masked Singer. Now, Ruth and I loved the show because we liked piecing the clues all together and trying to figure out who the singer was. And if you haven't, if you haven't seen the show, it's this, this singer with all this just dress and this garb is on, and they sing a song, and they give you all these clues, and you try to figure out who that singer is. And so we would try to guess it. Now, that was Ruth and I's favorite part to try to guess who was under the mask. My kids' favorite part was chanting, the moment when someone was getting ready to take the mask off, the words, take it off, take it off, take it off. And so they, they loved that, that piece because they knew someone was about to get voted off and they knew that the massive head that was on the singer was about to come off. And then the mask singer would take their head off and of course... Ruth and I, every time we guess, we always got it right. But of course we say that because hindsight's twenty twenty. And when the mask would come off and you'd see who the person was singing, you'd be able to go, oh, I see how the clues fit together and how all the pieces went. And so the clues became clear when we saw who the person was. The writer of Matthew, of our teaching text today, focuses on how Jesus fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. As we work through Matthew's account of Jesus' life, we increasingly see this conflict between those religious rulers of his day who who expected Jesus to be one thing 
and appeared to be another. And he was also proximate to those on the cultural margins of his day because Jesus was about his father's agenda. And after about two and a half years of ministry, Jesus prepares for his final trip to Jerusalem by retreating with his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Now I've got a map, and so maybe you're able to see this online, but in the room you're able to see that Caesarea Philippi is a little bit further north from where Jesus has done the bulk of his ministry at this stage in life. And so he's done primarily most of his ministry in, in about, for about a year around the Sea of Galilee. Well, Jesus takes his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi to really far north. He takes them into Gentile territory. By this time, the disciples were used to excursions into locations no good Jew would go because it would make them unclean. So if they would go into these places where these Gentiles were, where these, these other people were who weren't Jews, it would make them unclean and unable to exist in social circles. And so to help you get the weight of this uncleanliness, it'd be like someone contracting COVID-19. And they would have to self-quarantine without Netflix at this time. And after this period passed, people would have been nervous to go around them because they knew they were unclean and they would have had to keep their distance. But Jesus takes his disciples into this Gentile territory where it's a major place of worship for various religions of the day. So let's take a quick look at Caesarea Philippi where Jesus takes his disciples. If we look at this picture here, we're able to see some of the major temples of worships that, that shaped worldviews of the day. There on the far left, you have the, the temple of Caesar Augustus, where basically all these, the, the Roman culture said Caesar is God. He's the one worthy of worship and praise. He's the one that we want to focus on because he is like a God and king. And so you have the temple of Caesar Caesar there. Then behind that you have, you have this cave of Pan, which is basically this, this pantheistic God where, where you'd have to appease through sacrifice. And so whether it was goats or babies, people would come here and sacrifice them in this temple to appease this God. Then in the middle you have the temple of Zeus. Again, this is a Greek God, and so you have Greek and Roman this, this other pagan type God. And then on the far right, you have this court of nemesis where there was animal worship. And so against this backdrop, against all of these temples of worship, you have Jesus and he takes his disciples there. <clears throat> and these retreats seem to complicate the purpose of Jesus' ministry. Because it seems like Jesus should be spending time purifying Israel, yet it seems like his intent is defiling it. So meaning there was this confusion about who Jesus was. And so Jesus, to provide clarity for his disciples before he heads to Jerusalem to die, he sets himself against the backdrop of various worldviews and all their history and splendor and demanded be compared to them. So within this backdrop, with the disciples, good Jews, 
looking at all of these various modes and means of worship, knowing that there was confusion about who Jesus was, get asked the question from Jesus. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Who is the person who is supposed to bring renewal to God's chosen people in both their spirits and their land? The disciples listed several common answers. John the Baptist, a herald of national repentance. Elijah, a, a famous miracle worker. Jeremiah, one of the prophets of old who, were, who was going to bring judgment and clarity for what Israel needed to do. And you can imagine them discussing and being around others and talking and offering up these answers, maybe even hoping that one of them would be right. Perhaps seeing Jesus in these roles, people hope for a political Messiah who would overthrow the corrupt powers oppressing Israel. And there was this misunderstanding about his mission. We're going to address that specifically next week. But all these general tendency and all these answers was to underestimate Jesus. To give him a measure of respect and honor, but fall far short in honoring him for who he really is. What is clear is no one thought Jesus was the Son of Man, God incarnate. No one thought that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior. But Jesus turns the question to his disciples. And Peter gives an answer. Jesus says, so who do you say that I am? And Peter offers up, Jesus, you are, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Peter gets the clues right, or so it seems. And what makes this claim so jarring is while Peter offers up the right answer, and Jesus tells Peter, good job. Peter, you got it right. Jesus says, but you didn't get it right because you solved the puzzle by putting the clues together. Peter's identification of who Jesus was didn't come from what he could perceive. Jesus, it didn't come from flesh and blood. It came because it was revealed by God. A true understanding of Christ comes not from human invention. It's as if God took the mask off of Jesus for a moment within Peter's heart. It's as, as if the disciples are here and they're experiencing Jesus in all these different ways and then they looked at all the options laid out before them. And they're trying to figure out who is Jesus? What is he? What does he really come to do? Do we have a right understanding of him? And for a moment, it says if God lifts that mask off of Jesus' head in Peter's heart, and Peter goes, oh, you're the Messiah, the son of a living God, which means... Peter rightly identified who Jesus was, not because he pieced those clues together, but because God revealed it in his heart. And further, what Jesus encourages Peter, and it really reminds him in this moment, is he says, you don't even realize the implications of what you have just said. See, sometimes we're clever enough to put all the clues together and we're, we're, we're trying to, to figure it out. And for one moment, sometimes we get it right and we say, okay, Jesus, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are king. But we don't always understand what that means 
for every aspect of our life. Jesus praises Peter. He makes a crazy statement about the disciples' authority and instructs the disciples not to tell anyone. We're going to continue to get to that part of the story. But flesh and blood didn't reveal Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God to Peter. It came from Father in heaven. Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, which means Jesus is King. I just want you to write that down. I want you, I want you to think about it. Jesus is King. We tend to not think in terms of, of kingship or monarchy that often. But when we realize that Jesus is king, there's a standing, there's an authority that comes with that. That means when the king says something, it is supposed to happen. And in this case, we didn't put Jesus on the throne. He was already there. And who we say Jesus is will determine everything about how we follow him. Who you say Jesus is will determine everything about how you follow him. We face that same question today. We're all asked that question. And sometimes we answer that question with words saying, Yes, Jesus, you are king. You are Lord. But more importantly, we answer that question every day with the character we display and the actions we choose when we have verbally uttered those words. God reveals himself through Jesus and others. So we have to ask, in this moment, as Jesus stands against the conflicting worldviews and religious just beliefs of his day and age where people pledge their allegiance to, is Jesus an option or is he the king? Is Jesus an allegiance in your life of the options you can choose, or is he the object of your allegiance? Jesus contrasts with the centers of worship in our age, just like he did when he walked on the earth. There are a lot of people in the, this century who would say that they believe in Jesus. Maybe you watching online, or th those of you in this room would say, yeah, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. In fact, 85% of Americans would say that they believe Jesus was a true historical figure, that he was a real person. And among 85%, 9 out of 10 of them believe Jesus actually rose from the dead, which means that if you believe that, that Jesus actually was who he said he was. But I think the more question, important question is not, did Jesus really exist or do you believe he rose from the dead, but who exactly is the Jesus that you believe in? Who exactly? is the Jesus you believe in. This is the crux of the issue, and it shows up in your everyday behaviors. I know we are, we are everyday people, and part of being an everyday follower of Jesus means it shows up in how we live our life, which means we won't always get it perfect, we won't always get it right, and it won't always show up in the ways that we think it should show up. But as we live our life and exist in different spaces in the world, as we return to the places of worship in our world, out of all the options, do we choose Jesus? It shows in spiritual practice through, I think, engaging with three different modes. The first mode is when we pull out our cell phone. You may be 
watching, engaging with this service right now on your phone. Well, sometimes when we look at our phones, we see an idealized version of the world. We see a place where it's like the grass is greener, that it's better somewhere else than where I'm at right now. And we want to run from the hard reality of what it looks like to trust and follow Jesus and allow him to be king of our life. We would rather him be king somewhere else. It shows up when we engage with people personally in relational spaces or who we, we follow in real life. And ultimately, people will let you down. And I think we experienced this firsthand in this last season. There's a lot of things that have, that have just been cultural norms for us, but they've been stripped away because of COVID, because of, of unrest. These things will eventually change and people will let us down. But we know we've put our trust in them rather than be Jesus being king when we are perpetually frustrated with other people. When we feel like they don't measure up and because they, they won't, they will always fall short. And we try to get them for approval or we put our trust in them to acquiesce or, or grant some level of power that we want to achieve. And it shows up when we're just always complaining about others. The other place that it shows up as we engage is our own hearts. Do we live in a place of fear? Are you fearful for yourself? Do you not want to be rejected? It says, I don't want to be humiliated, so I always want to try to have the approval of others. 